Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I'm Mrs. Ward, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs to hell. You're doing if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your host, Nathan Barker. As many of you are well aware, 2017 marks the 35th anniversary of one of my favorite installments of the franchise, and that is Friday the 13th Part 3, which was released on August 13th of 1982. Now, with that in mind, I will be bringing on several alumni this year to chat about Part 3, some of which who will also be appearing in the upcoming Part 3 documentary in memory of Sir Richard Brooker, as being directed by Kevin Phipps, with Sean Richards serving as executive producer. We recently had Larry Zerner on again, and now I'd like to introduce the man who played one of my favorite Friday characters, and in my opinion, one of the most classic of the franchise with his yellow shirt and bandana, and that is David Kadams, who played the role of Chuck. A big thanks for joining us, and how are you doing this evening, David? I am doing just super. Awesome. I'm glad you could find the time to chat with me tonight. I really appreciate your time. Well, I'm happy to do it. So, David, with the 35th anniversary approaching, let's just start off by reflecting a bit and backtracking to the great Higgins Haven in 1982. You appeared in the third film, so obviously things were going well for Friday at the time. But just to take it back a little bit, what were your thoughts back then as to you know how successful and iconic the franchise would be considering where things are at today and with Jason and the mask being known around the world? Well... You know, when, when I was going through the casting process and, and the beginning part of the casting process, they didn't even share that it was a Friday the 13th movie. They had a, and this is done in film from time to time, they have a working title and they called it Crystal Japan. So certainly at the very beginning, I had no idea that it would be successful because I didn't even know that it had a, a great name, to, uh, lineage to go with it. But uh I guess what I would say is I'm I'm just completely uh, amazed that it uh, that it, it has been as popular as it has, but uh, it still is. <laughs> it's shocking. Yeah, a lot of actors that I've spoken with, and not even necessarily Friday the Thirteenth actors, but you know those involved with Nightmare or Halloween. Most of them, in general, will always say, you know gosh, we never had any idea that this would be as big as it was. You know, obviously you were part of the third film, so I'm sure you knew obviously there was going to be some success there. But were you a Friday fan, you know, prior to this role? Uh, I mean, were you a fan of either part one or part two or maybe both? Uh, I have to admit I may fall in the minority here, but uh, I never really um, pursued or followed uh, the horror film genre. So, no, I hadn't even seen one or two. I did know of their fame. You know, it was very successful uh, films, but I I had not seen either one. And it, it still surprises people at conventions when they ask me what my thoughts are about one and two. And I'll say I still haven't seen them. So. <laughs> nice. And believe it or not, you're not actually in the minority. I've, you know, had many conversations with others who basically have said the same thing. You know, they were aware of it, but weren't you know, weren't really sure, you know, kind of what was what. So you're definitely not alone there. Okay, good to hear. 
So with that in mind, like I said, 30th anniversary is coming up. I haven't heard anything yet as far as maybe a big reunion convention or anything special. You know, I know there's, you know, usually some talks when things like that come about. You know, recently we had the part six anniversary and nothing uh, big came of that. And obviously, you know, this is to me, this is a pretty big thing. I look at part three as being, you know, extremely iconic. Obviously, as you're well aware, that's the first time we see Jason in the hockey mask. Lots of great things about part three. So is there any maybe uh, tidbit information you might be able to provide with maybe an upcoming, you know, reunion of some sorts? You know, excepting for the project that you spoke of, the the re, um, the documentary uh, that's been uh, in the process of being, uh, I think it's in post-production at this point. Uh, I, I really am not aware of uh, any special convention. Um, Larry Zerner probably would hear about anything like that before I would, and he has always been kind to me and keep me in the loop as to what projects we could, because we have worked on certain conventions together, but uh, but I have not heard anything. So if you haven't, I haven't. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't yet, um, other than the documentary, you know, obviously, which they haven't released uh, an exact release date, other than, you know, it's going to be coming later this year. So uh, I know you're involved with that, and you provided some interviews. Maybe you can provide a little information on, you know, what exactly we can expect to see from you on that. Well, um, yeah, no, that that was a great experience, actually, uh, better than I expected. And um uh, Kevin Phipps is the director, uh, and everybody involved in it uh, has been just uh, way professional, and uh, and I'm just, I'm excited to see what they make of it too, and how they uh, how they further the story. I think the uh, besides being a tribute to Richard Brooker, it's also kind of a, a storyline of what actually happened to the cabin and. Uh, but the barn and different things that uh, occurred. But yeah, I'm, I don't really know much more excepting my participation in it. Uh, they were asked me a million different questions, and I was happy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have played a part in it and continue to prolong this wonderful, gracious journey that has happened over the years. Absolutely. And that's great to hear. I know there's a lot of, you know, wonderful people involved in the project and they're trying to do the best job that they can to bring, you know, a quality documentary. I, I've spoke with Sean numerous times, uh, us here at Return to Camp Blood have been lending a hand every way that we can, whether that's having the guys on the show, which, you know, we have had a, a few of them on, you know, um, Sean's, Sean's popped on, you know, a, a time or two and Kevin and Joe Quintanilla at Ruben Angelo, you know, they came on to give, you know, a brief overview a while back when things were kind of really getting kicked off. And I think everyone's just excited, you know, to see what they come up with. I know that there's going to be some good surprises and, you know, several people have, you know, jumped on board since the last time we were able to give an update. So, you know, it's just glad to hear that, you know, everyone's doing what they can to make a good documentary. Yeah. I, I also want to uh, piggyback. Yeah. I thought, I thought Sean's, uh, um, steering this documentary has been just fantastic, actually. Yeah, I I definitely think so. I know, uh, you know, he's trying to do, you know, everything he can and really reach out. We've tried to help out on the media side as well, you know, looking for uh, rare photos and, you know, things of that nature, any props. There just seems to be not a lot of stuff out there. 
uh, that people are sharing or that people own, you know, in the collector, you know, side of things, but anything that's related to Richard or, you know, just anything at all, they've really been trying to reach out. So anyone out there that's listening, if you have any rare photos of Richard, or if you have any, anything rare, you know, from the set or just anything related to the film in general, you know, please, uh, get a hold of us at the show here or contact the guys, at the documentary, they'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, like I said, they're trying to do what they can. Well, I tell you one thing that just occurred because I I just moved uh, from my house uh, into a, a new place, and uh, so I had to go through a lot of stuff. And I did come upon my original script for the film, so that was pretty uh, great find for me. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, that would definitely be something good. Uh, I'm sure the I'm sure Sean would love to you know hear about that if you haven't already. Let him know. Yeah, no, I haven't because I just found that literally a week ago. So, well, speaking of older items and you know screen-related items, I know it's been a while, but I seen your famous yellow shirt floating around out there, and I don't know if it's been <laughs> sold a couple times since then. But uh, are you aware of where its existence is today? I, I am not aware. Um, I'm trying to remember um, the gentleman. Uh, I went to a convention in. Uh, Oh, I want to say in a town outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And, um, gosh, I wish I could remember. The the guy was very nice um, guy, and he really wanted the shirt. <laughs> well, the last and, uh, that I recall, the, the last time that I seen it, it was owned by, I believe, Mike Becker, if that sounds familiar. That's, yeah, that that is it is Mike Becker. It is Mike, yeah. And uh, maybe he still has it. Maybe he sold it. I don't know, but... Uh, um, I know that he wanted me to, in addition to the shirt, he wanted me to write a little letter and sign it saying it is, in fact, the actual shirt I wore. And so I did that for him. But uh, uh, at that point, the, the shirt it was so uh, threadbare. It's very thin. And uh, uh, so I I, <laughs> I just uh, thought it would be better in the place of a true fan than in, in my closet. So that's why I sold it to him. And that's certainly understandable, but let's talk about that shirt for a minute because that really is a, an iconic thing in Friday history. So I know that it wasn't uncommon years ago for actors and people to wear their own clothing on the set. So was that actually a shirt that you personally owned or was that wardrobe given to you to wear? No, that was definitely wardrobe given to me. They had two shirts. I had two outfits. One was that yellow shirt. And one was a pink shirt, same design, exactly, a uh, kind of purplish pink. Uh, um, and I never, I don't know, I didn't, <laughs> I only absconded with the yellow one. So uh, maybe someone from the set took the other shirt, but that was uh, their design or, or their their choice for wardrobe, not mine. Gotcha. I think I read about that somewhere in an article, but did you happen to keep any of the other items that you used on set from the film? You know, I didn't really have a lot of items. Uh, you know, I I had uh, the head headband, uh, and I, I don't know if I kept that. I know that Sean gave me one. When I first met Sean, I met him at a uh, screening in Hollywood. Uh, I think it was Man's Chinese Theater or something, and uh, he he brought me, gave me a headband that was, uh, or a bandana, whatever the it was very similar to what I wore, but I didn't keep the original, so I don't know what happened to it. 
I think I remember seeing a picture of you and Sean and Sean had on, I guess, a similar shirt of what you would have worn in the film. And I think maybe he was wearing a bandana or both of you were wearing a bandana in the photo. I don't know if that rings a bell to you. Yeah, no, it does. You know what I think may have happened to the original? Because we in my death scene, uh, besides being electrocuted, they never actually showed what I looked like after being electrocuted. And and in fact, they did a lot of makeup. Uh, they burnt uh, the uh, glasses that I was wearing, and uh, and I'm sh- I think they burnt the headband. So maybe maybe it was just uh, you know not savable after that scene. I don't know. Well, that would make total sense. So, since you mentioned that scene, let's you know let's talk a little bit about that. You know, that's one of the classic iconic scenes in Friday history. I know personally for me that scene when the light comes on and Jason's behind you and it's like, Oh shit. You know, that's just, that is classic iconic Friday the 13th, you know, as big as it gets. I mean, I know for a lot of fans, that's just, you know, very iconic to them. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that scene. Yeah. Well, that was a great, uh, a fun scene to shoot. You know, when they shoot death scenes, they do, they dedicated a, mostly a full day to me on that scene. And I worked with a stunt coordinator you wouldn't think that there'd be a lot of stunt work involved in this, but there's a, is a kind of funny story behind that, which is, uh, you know, in in films when a person re- gets punched or you know whatever, it's the guy, the victim who is receiving that that really sells the punch. So they had a springboard. At which point, you know, when Jason grabs me and throws me into that. He doesn't actually throw me. I, I'm the one who has to tell that he's throwing me, so it makes him look real strong. And they had a springboard, and I had to practice, you know, kind of jumping backwards um, into that uh, fuse box. Uh, but also, uh, the, I, you know, it was a pretty sharp-edged fuse box. So they taped it with black tape on the edges, uh, and I practiced that so I wouldn't cut my hand when I went into it but it did have sparks attached to it which they you know uh, uh prop guy was off camera uh, to to light up as soon as i hit that and uh and he said now so just when you when you put your hand on that fuse box just look in the other way so that you don't get hit by the sparks and i said okay well he said you'll be fine you'll be fine so then uh, a few seconds, uh, when the camera was rolling, they go, okay, everybody 20 feet away from here. <laughs> I'm going, wait a second, wait a second. I have to be right here, but everybody else is 20 feet away, but it's safe. Uh, but it turned out, in fact, it was safe. So. <laughs> and granted, it's been many years ago, but I don't know if you can maybe recall the first time you read the script of that scene and maybe thinking to yourself, you know, oh, what did I get myself into? No, you know, that kind of stuff is fun, uh, actually, on set. You know, I know the character would be literally terrified, as he should be. He's about to be killed. <laughs> but uh, uh, but as an actor, no, this is all just good fun. In fact, the darker, the more fun, <laughs> so, to me. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's one of my favorite scenes in all of Friday. So, you know, great job. You know, I know that's a fan favorite. And, you know, just just being able to have the still shot, you know, if I were you, I would probably have that when the light comes on that still shot from the film. I'd probably have that poster size hanging up in my house. I mean, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. In my house, I have a lot of artwork. I don't have anything from Friday Turkey. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, talking to some others, they're kind of the same way. You know, they don't really have some of the stuff is, is us as fans or people that are involved with, you know, some of the stuff going on out there. They don't really look at it kind of kind of as the same. But, you know, that's just it really is just such an I- iconic shot. I mean, you know, just, you know, kudos to everybody involved for that scene. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I get fan mail from people all over the world and I'm actually, and they send me pictures cause they want me to sign their pictures pictures. And so I'm actually looking at a picture of that exact scene uh, where the, where I'm at hand on the fuse box and looking, Jason's not in this particular shot, but, uh, but I know the one you're talking about that scene is like maybe a second or two right before the shot I'm looking at where, where you see Jason behind me, which is, uh, a great shot, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, it's not like I don't have a huge ego. I do, but I just don't have pictures of myself in my house. <laughs> well, yeah, I can understand both sides of it, you know. But yeah, definitely a, an iconic classic shot, no doubt about that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you probably get all kinds of requests, you know, for signatures on that, you know, from time to time. So, yeah, definitely. People tend to send me what. You know, I always thought when I'd go to conventions, I brought pictures, but most of the time people have their own pictures they want me to sign. So I'm happy to do it whatever way they want to do it. Yeah, definitely. And here's a question that we often ask a lot of the alumni. What's the craziest thing at a convention, since you mentioned that, what's the craziest thing anyone's maybe asked of you uh, or made a request of in all the all the ones that you've participated in? You know, fans of, tend to be just really uh, nice to us. <laughs> so so I've never been asked, you know, and, and partly maybe it's because I, I'm a character actor and actually these days I don't look hardly anything like I did in that film. So sometimes they're just surprised that I am that guy. But, you know, I got older, lost my hair, a little heavier. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't get... <laughs> I don't, the only thing I guess I would say is people say, are you that guy? <laughs> but, you know, that happens to most character actors. They don't look the same way from film to film, and project to project. Yeah, I mean, not to mention 35 years, you know, people don't necessarily realize, you know, hey, it's been 35 years. I definitely don't look anything like what I do in this particular picture that you want me to sign. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because people, a lot of them are younger. And so they don't have the uh, experience of knowing what aging looks like. So they they see their grandmother, but they don't know what their grandmother looked when she, like when she was twenty. And she looks different. I promise you. Very good point, and that's uh, definitely you're definitely correct on that. A lot of people probably don't don't realize that, and not everybody you know ages the same. So you know it is what it is. But I can certainly understand you know what you mean by that. But in terms of conventions, I guess you know having drinks with Richard when I did conventions with him was not a request of me or in any way, but uh, certainly fun. Now, speaking of conventions, I know that you're kind of a rarity on the convention scene. I attend a lot of them in the Midwest region. Uh, I don't make it out to the West Coast a whole lot or the East Coast a whole lot. It just kind of depends on what's going on. But do you have any conventions coming up? I know that we're hitting convention seasons about to boom here real real soon. So do you have any this year that maybe you'd like to throw out there for fans to be aware of? You know, I'd love to be able to say I do, but I really don't market myself that way and mostly because uh, I don't get asked to come to them if you know I'll go to anyone that they want (laughs) to fly me out there and pay 
pay for my way there, uh, I'm happy to do it. But uh, I don't uh, get asked to perhaps because they uh, pay more special attention to the guys who have played Jason. And uh, and maybe in our film, maybe Larry, because he was the, uh, the person who uh, brought the hockey mask to the franchise. But... Uh, um, but mostly I, I don't do them, not because I don't like doing them, but just because I don't get asked. And I and and so on the occasional times that I have reached out to Monster Mania or different things, that they have their response was mostly that they weren't concentrating on Friday the 13th on this particular season. And you know, I'm not, I don't really want to. I don't beg for work. <laughs> so if people want me, they can get in touch with me. Easy to do and uh, happy to be at the shows, but I, I'm not uh, pursuing them too much myself. Well, for our listeners out there that do attend conventions, I mean, there you have it. Just, you know, request Chuck at your local convention and he will be glad to show up. That, that is true. And the people who promote these, they know how to get a, uh, get a hold of me. I'm easy, easily uh, gotten a hold of. Yeah, I'll have to uh I'll have to make a couple mentions to some people. You know, there's a lot of good shows coming up and there's been some recently that were, you know, very heavily related to Friday. So it would be awesome to have, you know, some of the people that we don't get to see on the regular convention circuit out there and you would be definitely one of them that, you know, uh I think would be a big hit. It's some of the ones that I've attended recently. Yeah, I mean, the last one I did was I think a couple of years ago in Bellevue, Washington. It was the first effort by this group to to do a convention in Seattle and I I think they picked a bad location so it wasn't really well attended it was still fun to do but uh but uh, the the one that's most popular out here is Crypticon and which I've done uh, a couple times but uh you know other than that I have I haven't been to one recently well like I said for those of you listening out there make sure you get your requests in and you know get them out to your local convention yeah, guys, come on, support the guy. Absolutely, but yeah, let's uh, let's go back to the actual film itself, and maybe I was curious if there's maybe any special stories or anything that you'd like to share from the production that might not be widespread knowledge. I guess if you want to call it that, maybe a behind the scenes story or just anything from the filming or your time on set in general that the listeners might want to hear about. Well, I've been interviewed by people, so I know some of these stories definitely. If you're an absolute uh, fan, you'll have read them in books or, or you'll see it even in this upcoming documentary if, if it makes it through editing. But, uh, you know, I have, um, I have two stories that, I, that are, to me, uh, just ones that uh, I love telling. Uh, you know, my character, Pot Smoker. So um, the first time I had to smoke in, the, in a scene... They had rolled up a joint made out of tobacco. I'm not a cigarette smoker, so I, I told them I can't. I can't do this. I can't. I can't suck in the smoke. Uh, it'll make me uh, sick. So uh, uh, I suggested going to a health food store because they sold at the time. They sold cigarettes that were made out of something else that I could draw from and actually create smoke without hurting my lungs too badly. So. What I was very impressed with is the property guy, after telling him that, the very next day, he had 50 joints rolled out of this substance, and and it actually worked. So I was pretty impressed with uh, the ingenuity 
not just in related to my character, but uh, on the whole film, the property guy was pretty great. But the other story I tell is a story about gambling. <laughs> and every day, the crew and even the cast, uh, not everyone in the cast, but some of us would uh, would gamble. And we'd play a game called AC Ducey. For any of your listeners who know that match the pot game, it can turn out horrific <laughs> at times. And um, one of the things that's funny about that is Dana Kimmel, the, the lead, uh, she uh, is Mormon, and uh, I'm sure it's not part of her religion to gamble, <laughs> but she did do it, and she loved doing it. So I thought that was funny. I don't judge, whatever works. But uh, But here's what happened. One afternoon... Uh, at lunchtime, they would break out this game, and uh, you, each person chips in $2, and they deal two cards to one person, and then two cards to the next person, around and around. And, and when it's your turn, you get to gamble as much of that pot as you want, that the next card will fall between the two cards that were turned face up for you. So if it was a a jack and a nine. The only card that would work is a 10, and so that you wouldn't gamble anything because it would be too risky. But if a king and a two show up, there's a lot of cards that fall in between those cards, and so people get a little bit more ambitious, and they'll say, okay, I'll gamble 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, with uh, everybody contributing $2, I think that was uh, what the first pot was, 10 Ten people, two dollars, yeah, twenty dollars, and and if the if it doesn't work, if the the next card is outside of those two cards, then they have to match the bet that they just did. Now that twenty dollar pot becomes a forty dollar pot, and if someone matches that, it becomes an eighty dollar pot if they get it wrong. And that's what happened one afternoon. One afternoon, it got up to six, four. Let's see, I, I don't want to exaggerate. I think I think six hundred dollars. Yeah, because uh, the producer Frank Mancuso Jr. lost. $400. He matched the pot and uh, so it became an $800 pot. I got a turn where I got to, I, I actually took $200 out of that pot. But what was funny is this. The first assistant director came up to me and he said, okay, it's time to get back to the set. And I said, well, no, this pot's going on. Until this pot's over, <laughs> I want to get my turn to, to get some money out of the pot. And he said, no, you got to get back to the set. I said, look, we have the producer here. We have the director. We have the the uh, director of photography in this pot. Until they're on the set, nothing's going to get shot. <laughs> so I'm finishing this pot. And uh, it finally ended. And I did, as I say, I pulled out 200. But what was funny is this. We're walking back to the set, and Frank Mancuso Jr. goes, he's complaining. He goes, God, I lost $400 in that pot. And the assistant director said, you lost an hour of production time. That's $35,000. And he goes, no, 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 no. I lost $400 of my money in this box. <laughs> and that was more important to him than the thirty-five grand. I thought that was funny. Oh, yeah, that's a great story. And those are the ones that we like to hear, the, you know, the – the behind the scenes stories that, you know, yeah, they might be out there, you know, in other interviews and documentaries and things like that. But obviously our listeners may or may not have seen those. So, you know, it's always nice to to hear those anyway. Yeah. What, uh, what was your favorite scene to shoot in that film? God, you know, I, the, the outhouse scene was pretty funny and that was definitely fun. 
uh, in fact, that was another story because that wasn't a real outhouse. That was a prop outhouse. And it was freezing cold out there where we shot this uh, film uh, at times on certain nights. And this was a night shoot. And and I'm, I have that scene where I uh, pull my pants down, sit on the john, and uh, light up a joint. And then uh, it's a red herring because the outhouse shakes. And I, I th- you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Turns out. Jason didn't choose to kill me there, uh, but uh, uh, but the crew thought they would have some fun, and so at one point I'm freezing, but my ass is kind of hot, and I'm going, what the hell? And I look underneath where the toilet's supposed to be, and there's uh, one of the crew members has a blowtorch. He's kind of come up and scare me a little bit by warming my ass a little bit. It, it was a fun fun scene to shoot, though. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of fun on set. I've heard that about some of the other Friday films, uh, more so, I guess, maybe with part six than some of the others. But it sounds like yours was, you know, right up there with it. Everybody was just having a great time and, you know, making the most of it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely professional. They definitely stayed on task. And really, in a film, uh, it is such a collective effort. Everybody contributes to the quality of any film that's good. Or any or any film is bad, but but it is a, a collective effort, and uh, I, I think it makes for a better shoot if people are just warm and uh, you know having a good time, but still being professional. Absolutely. Now, do you recall the first time that you were able to watch the film once it hit the theaters? Do you did you actually go to the theater to watch it? I mean, do you have recollection of that? Well, yeah. I mean, first there was a screening for the cast and crew. And so I saw it the very first time uh, with not with the public. But then uh, Paramount and, and did get involved in promotion a little bit. And so I was I'm not living in Seattle at the time, but I was flown up to Seattle uh, to do a radio show in Seattle. And, uh, and then I was flown, then I just happened to have family in Spokane. So I was over there and they arranged for a screening well, I mean, it was actually opening at, at the theater there, uh, and they had me uh, sign autographs at a screening where my family uh, actually got to come uh, along with the public to uh, watch the film. So that was kind of fun. Uh, the, my family are definitely not horror film convention uh, horror film goers, and uh, my mother particularly never would have been caught dead at a horror film, but because her son was in it, she came to the film. And uh, so it was very fun, funny. The moment I died, and, you know, I'm in the film about three quarters of the way through before I get killed. So uh, the moment I died, about nine people <laughs> stood up in their seats and said, nice film, Dave, we're leaving. Yeah, I didn't know maybe if, if I mean, I know they have obviously the private screenings or whatnot, but I, I've talked to some other people who weren't actually able to see the film that they were in at a private screening and went to, you know, the general, the, the theater with the general public. So I didn't know how you actually viewed it first and, and what the crowd's reaction was if you actually did see it at the theater for the first time that way. Well, when I saw it on that night in Spokane, the, I mean, the audience definitely was a horror film audience and they that and it was sold out and and they they did love it um so it, that was fun to to see it the, you know when people don't know what's going on and i i do so that was kind of fun oh definitely 
and you know. Uh, I'll interrupt one one other thing that was surprising to me is they did have me sign autographs, and I up until that point in my acting career, I've never had any uh, adulation or any interest in what I did. So that was kind of fun too, just to say, oh my god, these people really into me just just because I'm in this film, and uh, but that was kind of a new experience. I mean, I, that's, that might be because, you know, Friday was developing the fan base at that time, you know, I mean, the third film coming out and, you know, it probably had its fans at that time. So, you know, it's, it would have been a big deal, I would think. Yeah, no, uh, you know, I, my, my sister was in the women's restroom and she heard these young girls talking, that guy was in the film. He's right out there in the lobby. He he was in the film <laughs> and she was, you know, she she just knows me as I'm her brother, so she didn't think anything of me at all. But she's going, my God, these women, they, they're, they're into this. Yeah, it definitely had its fan base going by then. And let's talk a little bit about the 3D aspect. Obviously, that was something that wasn't, you know, a big thing at the time. So did you have any issues during filming because of the 3D aspect? Or, you know, was everything, you know, good to go as far as that goes? Well, it was not only there hadn't been a 3D film in I think about 20 years prior to Friday 13th. So that was, and the 3D process had been improved. It's now since been improved again, but uh, but then it was definitely better than the original 3D movies you, that one was shown in the 50s and 60s. But uh, uh, so for me, I, I love that it was in 3D because the, the camera, they had difficulties sometimes having everything in focus, so they had to reshoot scenes a lot. And all that meant for me as an actor is I get longer on the set and get more money for for being on the set longer. So, so uh, on a purely selfish reason, I was happy that it was in 3D. Nice. Well, you know, money talks. So I, I probably would have said the same thing. You know, hey, if it gets me paid more, then you know, by all means. Yeah. Uh, one day, uh, they they used uh, a great piece of technology called the Luma Crane, and it's a, and they shot they used it particularly in the very first opening shot of the they're inside the storekeeper's uh, cabin and with his wife, and then this thing it's a collapsible cr- uh, crane, and at the end of which is the camera. So a camera operator doesn't sit in a chair and and watch it. He's actually uh, maneuvering the camera from a booth uh, outside of the, uh, you know, outside, and uh, and so it can, it started as an inside shot of the camera uh, of the cabin, but then as it's pulled back, then it, it it's pulled back to a window, and now you see the outside of the cabin, and pulled back even further, and you see even more. So this was a very expensive piece of equipment they got for this particular shoot. And at one point, uh, this whole crane uh, just tipped on its side. And that was not a very happy day on the set. People were very upset because it was very expensive equipment. Uh, and, and you know, they wouldn't have had this at all had they not been shooting in 3D. Yeah, I can imagine the irritation with something like that. But it sounds like as far as, you know, your roles in the film that everything went pretty smooth as far as the, the 3D stuff goes. Yeah, I mean, the 3D that I was involved in were the popcorn scene where the popcorn 
pops into the camera. That was pretty easily shot. And uh, the handing of a joint into camera, uh, which again was pretty easy. Uh, what was more difficult was scenes that Larry was involved in with the juggling. That was very hard to get that in focus. Oh, I can imagine. And I'm glad you brought up the passing of the joint scene because my co-host, who could not make it tonight, he uh, definitely wanted to talk about that. So <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. So he, uh, you know, kind of, I'll kind of speak for him since he's not here. He had made reference to you and, you know, Cheech and Chong being the uh, classic smokers of the era. Well, you know, I, I um, when I moved to uh, Seattle in 95, um, I had never done it before, but I started doing stand-up comedy. And uh, I, I, I still do stand-up once in a while, and I did it for over 10 years uh, up here in, in L.A. too. And, uh, and at one point, I got to do stand-up with Tommy Chong. And I told them, I said, you know, Tommy, before I was a comic, I was an actor. And uh, I had occasion to rip off your character in Friday the 13th Part 3. And Tommy said, all right, dude, keep going. <laughs> and we have never been offered more pot in our lives than doing stand-up with Tommy Chong. Nice. So would you go ahead and say that, you know, Tommy was inspiration for Chuck? Oh, he definitely was. That was the, that was the whole intent. And not, not uh, subtly, they, when they were first casting, they wanted me to actually do Tommy Chong's dialect, his, his stoner voice. And uh, they wanted, I didn't have a beard or long hair, but they told me to start growing it. And um, then they had me read with different actresses, many of whom uh, were Hispanic. So they wanted a kind of male-female Cheech and Chong. Uh, but when I, the very first day when we got to the set, uh, Steve Miner, the director, said, you know, I've changed my mind. We're not going to have you do the uh, dialect, the, the the character voice, just do your regular voice. And I never knew why it didn't make sense unless they thought they'd get to do it. I don't know. But uh, I can't imagine why they chose to do it because I always think the humor mixes very well with horror films. Um, and I thought we should have gotten a lot more heavy with that idea, but they didn't. Yeah, I, I think that would have been a perfect fit. Um, some people might not agree with that, and that's fine. I mean, we all can't agree on everything, but I think that would have been a good fit, and I think part three would have been you know, the perfect time to do that. I mean, especially with the Cheech and Chong stuff and you know everything that was going on at that time, I think that would have been the appropriate time to step into the horror comedy side, kind of like part six did a few years later. Well, you know, because I thought that my character could have, by his own ineptitude, missed getting killed just by being stoned, dropping a joint, going to pick it up, an axe goes flying by overhead, you know, and things like that that I think would have been funny or could have been made to be funny. But uh, oh, well. oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. This is just kind of a, you know, just a random question. Since you have done some conventions and all that good stuff, have you ever had any fans, you know, come up with like fake joints and want to take a sit, you know, take a picture holding the fake joints or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I think that that has happened before. Uh, also, I just for the hell of it uh, at the convention table, I had brought um, boxes of zigzag papers to, and I was have signed zigzag papers and, and given them to fans. So, yeah, that's that's happened. Now you mentioned your your stand up comedy stuff. Is that something that you're you know still doing, or has that been put to the wayside? 
I, I do it very rarely now, but I, I, I performed literally about three weeks ago at a, a corporate gig. So it's still, I still do it. I just don't have as much time to do it these days. Yeah, yeah. You know, it would be great, you know, to have a a Chuck and Tommy comedy night at a at a convention. You know, how how badass would that be? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the Crypticon convention, um, I uh, did. Uh, they had one of the you know how they always at conventions have side things that happen, and they had a burlesque show, and uh, I was the MC for that show. Uh, so I did comedy at there. And um, then even at a convention, I think it was in Orlando that uh, uh, Richard Brooker and uh, who else was there? Uh, Tracy and Dana and Larry and I were all there. And uh, the person, we did a Q&A session and the person who they had doing the emceeing of that Q&A was pretty bad <laughs> at it. And so I, I just, uh, I didn't know if it was appropriate or not, but I just said, you know, I, I speak professionally. <laughs> I said, do you mind if I take over your duties here and ask my, my uh, coworker, my co-stars here <laughs> questions for you? Because he just didn't know, he hadn't done his prep work. He didn't know what to ask. And so I knew questions to ask each of them so that everybody would get some exposure at the convention. Yeah, I was just curious if that was something that was still going on. I knew that you were involved in the stand-up stuff, but I didn't know if that was something that was still continuing today or if something that you uh, had stopped doing you know, as of recently. I can still bring the funny, young man. Absolutely can do that. Well, for the listeners out there, keep that in mind, too. You know, He can appear at the convention, and he can also do some stand-up. So it's kind of a uh, two-for-one. Yeah, the the thing is, unfortunately, is that people want my entire set to be horror film related. It, it is not, so, so uh, we'll put that caveat in there. You know, it's my material, and I I decide what I talk about. But uh, a few jokes about horror films, but not a t- not the entire set. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have to throw a few in there. So yeah, but uh, you know, with the talks of. The recent Friday film, obviously, that's been put on halt. Uh, what are your thoughts as far as the direction of the franchise? I mean, they had mentioned some tidbits about they were going to do an 80s retro throwback film. Then there had been some talk about some other stuff. You know, what what are your overall thoughts, you know, now that uh, we're 35 years anniversary on your particular film? And there's been, obviously, 12 films in the franchise since then. So what are your just general thoughts on the direction of the franchise you know, as a whole. Listen, I want this gravy train to continue going, so I hope they continue to make Friday the 13th movies to the end of time, uh, because it certainly helps exposure to my film. And if they do an 80s retro uh, film and need some of the uh, actors from the uh, old ones to appear in this new one, I'm game. I'm absolutely game. It's been a wild and unexpected ride, so I'm happy to continue in any way it can. And I think that that's a good idea. Yeah, there's been some talk about having alumni from various films, you know, doing a a new film, you know, based on things involved with that, you know, Final Girls and, you know, some of the survivors. And I mean, just whatever the hell you can think of with, you know, the people that would be willing to participate. And I think that would be a great thing to do. I mean, Friday is a obviously as you know it's a worldwide iconic thing and i think the fans really want to see that 
I'm sure we're never going to get it, but I've talked to a lot of people and everybody that I've talked to basically just said the same thing that you did. We're game, you know, let, let, let's do something fun like that. And I think the fans deserve that. Yeah. I mean, I, I like being, um, and I, because of Friday the 13th, I am kind of an iconic pot smoker. You know, people recognize me from that. And I live in a state where pot's legal. So, uh, as is now it is in California too. But, uh, um, so there are, there's an app for marijuana retail stores, uh, called Leafly. And it just so happens that my niece works for that company. And uh, so one of the, her staff was writing an article about how the stoner is often, uh, is always killed in these horror films. There's often stoners in, in horror films and, they, and they're always killed. <laughs> and so, so she was telling my niece about this, this storyline she's creating. And she, this woman had pictures laid out of different I- iconic pot smokers from horror films. And my niece said, well, well, that's my uncle right there. And and the woman goes, no, no way, no way. And she goes, yeah, he lives right here in Seattle. Oh, we got to interview him. And so I recently did an interview for them as well. <laughs> nice. And what company was that? Because I'm definitely going to have to check that out. It's called Leafly, and it's, it has multiple purposes. Uh, it, it actually is a review uh, app that reviews different uh, strains of pot, different kinds of uh, uh, pot that uh, people can buy at the retail stores. Uh, it reviews the actual retail stores. Uh, another division of theirs, they have their own strain of pot that they sell and their own uh, paraphernalia that they sell. Um, so it's L-E-A-F as in Frank, L-Y, Leafly. Nice. I will definitely have to check that one out. Um, how recent was that? Was that fairly recent? The legalization of pot in Washington? No, no, no. I just mean the the article itself. Oh yeah, that has to be. Yeah, it's either coming out or it just recently came out, and I, I I haven't actually seen it myself. But, uh, oh okay, gotcha. Well, I should be able to find that pretty easy, and we'll definitely give that a share on our site, and you know, get that out there for you. Okay. Cool. Ruby. So we've we've talked a little bit about the documentary coming out. We've talked a little bit about the anniversary, just a little little Friday stuff in general all the way around. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about as far as upcoming projects? I know that you were fairly recently in an episode of Grimm as the cabbie, but just anything you'd like to share with the listeners as far as uh, current projects or future projects? Well, just as regards Grimm, I... You know, it was a very small role, and yet they gave me guest starring billing, which I was <laughs> completely Im- impressed and happy with. Uh, it uh, it was a very professional crew. Grimm shot now for six seasons in Portland, Oregon, and um, uh, so all I would say about that role was that it was just a again a very nice, strong crew that treated actors very well. Uh, but the other thing, project I'm involved in that's going to take some time to come out for people to enjoy, but uh, many, many people of your viewers may also be um, gamers, and they may know of a game called Magic the Gathering, and uh, it's kind of a Dungeons & Dragons kind of game that was worldwide popular and <laughs> successful. And the guy who developed that uh, game or that uh, yeah, um, 
he his name's Peter Atkinson, and he uh, sold that company to Hasbro and became a multi-billionaire wealthy guy. And so his pet project is that he's created a a uh, mixed media um, web series called The World of Caldea, spelled C-H-A-L-D-E-A. And when I say mixed media, it is both comic book, comic drawings with voiceovers and also live action. So if you go to the world of Caldea.com, you'll see it, the pilot episode, and it's kind of a cross between Avatar, Game of Thrones, and Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord of the Rings because it has uh, elves and orcs and dwarves and uh, humans and dragons. Uh, and Game of Thrones because it has its different empires and different regions of, of the world of Caldea, and so different protagonist stories are explored. Uh, I play a recurring character as a 300-year-old uh, warrior dwarf, uh, uh, general of the Hex, and so uh, I'm, I've only shot those scenes, the one Thing, the only thing I've shot so far is a voiceover recording to to attend the drawings they are making of my character. But uh, uh, there are six seasons planned out for this, and uh, so in future episodes I will be actually doing live action. Uh, my my character is not a uh, uh, principal main character, but it is uh, it does occur throughout all six seasons, as far as I know. So. Look for that. Go to if you go to the site, you can see their pilot episode and get a feel for this guy is so detailed on every element of this world that you can gain a lot of knowledge and see if it's your cup of tea. Nice. That sounds like an interesting project. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will definitely check that out. Yeah, good. The only thing I would say about this uh, whole adventure is. Uh, really had no expectation that it would be so rewarding for so many years. <laughs> and it really is just a, a joy to get the attention of fans that really love love this body of work. So yay, yay for you guys. Thank you to all the fans out there. And uh, thank you for the, the interview. And it's just uh, fun to, pl- to play with everybody. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, try to do what we can to keep Friday alive, just like a lot of other people out there. I'm sure you're probably well aware yourself, you know, the collecting hobby, all the shirts and the masks and just the the posters, the prints, you know, all the collectibles out there. I mean, we just we just appreciate everybody keeping Jason alive as long as we can. Well, I think that I think it will. I think it will sustain. We'll see. It's, it's already lasted thirty-five years, so uh, that's just our film, and uh, of course, longer for the first two. So, oh, definitely. And like I said, as soon as they, you know, as you're well aware, as soon as they finish up with everything with the next film, you know, we know we're going to get a thirteenth film. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of, you know, when is it going to happen? Yeah. Well, it's kind I'd of a shame. You, the, you know, back in the 80s when they were cranking them out one by one by one, they could still do that today. You know, Larry Zerner had made comment about that. You know, these movies aren't hard to make, you know, just crank them out there. So uh, it's a shame that we just we don't see that nowadays. You know, granted, times have changed. 
and all that good stuff. But there's people out there that want to see it, so bring it to the fans. Well, I think there's always going to be horror films because they are uh, easy to do lower budget films for this kind of work, and uh, and yet they can make a ton of money. So um, uh, I, I think that will always motivate uh, young filmmakers to make this kind of film because it can be a way, whether they stay with this genre or not, it can be a way to return to the well to make some money so that they can do other projects that they want to make and uh, and no one will fi- finance. <laughs> so, you know, I, Steve, I'm not Steve, uh, um, Frank Mancuso Jr., that's really what he did. He did other films besides the Friday series, but he would always return to making these films because they funded his other projects that uh, were not so easily, uh, where he was not so easily able to get uh, financing for yeah, obviously it's a business, and I think everyone understands that. But you know, as as a fan myself, and just being involved, you know, with everything Friday, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, you know, just pent up aggression, if you will. You know, people just want to see the damn film. You know, get it out there. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Keep doing what you're doing. We love we love you uh, prolonging the uh, the ride, and uh, and I I appreciate it. Yeah, we will definitely do on our end everything that we can to keep Jason alive. There's no doubt about that. There's a lot of good stuff coming up. You know, check out the uh, Part 3 Richard Brooker Memoriam documentary. You know, that's coming up. Obviously, we have a new film, you know, coming up. Convention season's about to launch. There's a lot of good shows. Uh, Promoters or anybody that has anything to do with those that's listening, you know, request David. You know, you heard him say he'd love to come out and visit your city. So definitely hit him up about that, and he might just make an appearance. Right on. Absolutely. Well, all right. I just want to thank you, David, for joining me tonight. I appreciate all the contributions that you made to our beloved franchise. It's uh, definitely iconic, one of my favorite installments. You know, just glad you could join us. Well, to quote Warren Zevon, peace, love, and understanding. Or lawyers guns and money whichever one works for you well all right that wraps up another episode of return to camp blood so please rate and review wherever you listen to the show at this episode was brought to you by friday the 13th part three richard brooker memoriam documentary and you can find more information about that on their facebook page at facebook.com slash remembering brooker until next time